Firefly character. Uh, Kaylee? River. Crazy the River. Only other woman on the ship. Inara. Okay, the only other Zoe. other woman. Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous Campfire in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Yishin. And welcome to episode 89 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on player profiles when we discuss storytellers. But first, the rogue traders meet a gallery of rogues in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Bardic College earns its PhD in action economics in the Character Creation Forge. So just a friendly reminder, we have our TP t-shirts available on TeePublic, as well as some nope, other notebooks. nifty gifties. Yeah, notebooks, mugs, travel. Uh, we got a good review of the travel mug. Yeah. Uh, it had low expectations and slightly exceeded them. Hot on the inside, not too hot on the outside. Not, yeah, not too hot on the outside. <laughs> kind of hot on the outside. Great for the car. <laughs> Acceptable for walking. <laughs> I also want to remind everybody that I will be a special guest at a Catacon 5th edition uh, that is coming up November 10th through 12th. Uh, I mention it now, months in advance, because the Kickstarter for badges is going live in just a few hours. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time today, April 13th. And I think it runs for a month, so you'll probably hear about this again. Yeah, you should go. So should you, Ishan. <laughs> yeah, but you're going to be there. That's true. Yeah. We can't We can't have us in the same place for too long or else <laughs> damage. Look at what happened in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. We've also got a new Unearthed Arcana. Actually, a couple, but we're going to space them out a bit. This time, we're talking about the new Starter Spells. Wizards has given us a selection of cantrips and first-level spells for... Every spellcasting class. I, I think when you get into these, you'll be unsurprised to learn that uh, Rob Schwab was involved in writing some of these. Is it because, for the most part, they're good? And chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some where I was like, oh, that's a lot of dice rolls. And, and a little tongue-in-cheek as well. So let's hit the highlights and the lowlights. Right, so I know that you love the ceremony spell. I absolutely do. First level ritual takes an hour to cast it. Uh, but you can do a bunch of different things for it. And the first one that old school players are going to recognize is atonement. Which is garbage. Well, the whole point of even needing an atonement ceremony is for old school GMs who make their paladins fall. And now you need a way to fix that. Yeah, so it specifically targets creatures whose alignments have changed and restores them to their original alignment. Now, they need to be willing, so you can't even use it to fix someone who got like a helm of opposite alignment. Yeah, but... I don't know. I mean, we've shifted so far away from alignment being mechanical. I hate that it's being reintroduced here. But I do get it's a throwback to the old school. Though, wasn't Atonement like a fifth level spell? Yeah, so I'm actually really happy to see that it is one small part of one really useful first level spell. Yeah, yeah. And I love that paladins can cast it. (laughs) Yeah, paladins and clerics get it. Uh, You can bless water and make some holy water, which I, I guess can help you make a little bit of money yeah if you want to sell your holy water i mean i don't know how does your deity feel about that ishan because mine great. feels great i'm yeah, catholic absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, would you like indulgence brand holy water yeah. <laughs> drink it before you sin <laughs> uh, you get there's this interesting little mechanic uh several of these abilities there's for example coming of age uh, you pick a, a young adult humanoid and for 24 hours they get a a small bonus it can only happen one time it's used as like the small town priest like actually like conducts a ceremony so you also get you know dedication for someone who's joined your religion or marriage for people who decide they want to spend their lives together and are only interested in 24 hours worth of bonuses feels a little retrograde that you can only get married once agreed (laughs) because that definitely doesn't apply here anymore (laughs) the mechanically good aspects of the spell though are the funeral rite option which 
prevents a corpse from being turned into undead for 24 hours. I love this. By any means short of a wish spell. Yeah, I love that. Like someone's going to waste a wish making undead. (laughs) (laughs) Like they wouldn't just bring you back to life. (laughs) Right? But yeah, I love that you, like a first level cleric can be like, no, like this one body is going to stay sacrosanct. Yeah. Uh, And then investiture, which actually I think has some really interesting like possibilities you sort of put one of your spells in someone else for up to 24 hours or for, for an hour and they can cast it yeah they, it, it it lets you share your spell casting ability which is nice i'm excited to play a charlatan yeah <laughs> <laughs> now i know you love chaos bolt oh because it is chaotic af <laughs> so it's it, it's a ranged spell attack you roll 2d8 damage and the damage type is random based on one of the dice that you roll um, I pointed out that it seems that higher numbers are the less resisted, so it's going to be extra swingy. And then you pointed out that it's alphabetical, yeah. which is just coincidence, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but I still love it. <laughs> I would love it if it were ordered by like how often things are resisted. But like, if you're not doing that much damage, you're probably dealing acid, unfortunately. Uh, right. <laughs> but like, oh. Yeah, a bunch of damage. Poison. Oh, never mind. It's poison. Who yeah, cares? poison is a six, and that's the only one that's out of order. Right. But psychic is seven, and thunder, which are both rarely resisted, are are the highest. Um, but then, if you roll the same number on both d8s, you get to target a new creature and make another attack roll, which could potentially leap again. Um, you can only hit each creature once, though, so it's limited effect. It can't just keep daisy chaining between two. But it's kind of cool for a first level ability. Uh, first level spell yeah i think it's nice design actually because one of the problems with these sort of like chaotic quote-unquote spells that get multiple targets sometimes is that there was always the chance for like you know an explosion and like infinite damage yeah and this really reigns that in so i'm happy about that it's kind of like a low level chain lightning that isn't tied to lightning yeah chain acid yeah (laughs) chain something (laughs) i um can't decide if I love or hate the fact that the base spell does 2d8 damage, but if you use higher slots, the additional damage comes in d6s. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's Chaos Bolt. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> so it's not just combat spells. There's also a handful of utility things. Things mm-hmm. like Guiding Hand, which lets you always know the direction of a location. Which is cool, except that uh, the ranger doesn't get it. Yeah, I mean... The cleric gets it, the druid gets it, the bard gets it. So here's the theme of this. Eh. Uh, Ragers get short shrift. Yeah, right. or made completely useless. Yeah, so at the end of the list are wild cunning and a ranger-only spell, Zephyr Strike, which Zephyr Strike we can go ahead and rule out because it's one of the typical ranger uh, formats where you use your bonus action, you get a one-minute concentration on a spell, and it doesn't do enough to justify using a first-level spell slot when you don't have ritual casting. Yeah, at all. Now, you don't have ritual casting, so you can't use the best part of the wild cunning spell, which is spamming it. <laughs> As a ritual? <laughs> yeah, because it does. it's pocket ranger. It is, yeah. If there are tracks on the ground within range, you find those tracks, and you have advantage on following them for an hour. Uh, if there's food, you find it. If there's clean water, you find it. Shelter, you find it. And it can make or break down campsites. Find whatever. But... This is pretty useless for the ranger because you do it once. It's kind of like the detect traps spell. Hey, if there are no traps here, well, you wasted a spell. Mm-hmm. But the druid can just hang out and go, any food here? Nope. Okay, let me move. Yeah, let's. I mean, 11 minutes at a time or whatever. Any food here? It precludes the need for the survival skill and, again, makes the ranger redundant. Great spell. Terrible for rangers. Um, there's, a, there's a couple other abilities in here that are kind of cool as cantrips, um, just expanding the the variability of of what you can do as your base level abilities as a caster is pretty neat. Um, the necromancy cantrip gives you um, d8 damage against a target who fails a save, but a d12 if they've lost some hit points. So it's a cool little scaling effect. Yeah, uh, primal savagery is a druid cantrip that's basically like effectively shocking grasp. You can make a melee spell attack. Uh, it's a really nice alternative to something like Shillelagh, which only really works at low levels or if you multiclass to extra attack. But this is it does D10 damage and scales really nicely. So overall, 
not going to complain to have more spells. It doesn't look like any of these are going to be game-breaking, though. Of course, we're always worried about our poor ranger. Womp womp. But yes, for the most part, I think these are this is a great direction. But speaking of great directions and not going in them, I guess, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? All right, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our rogue trader Warhammer 40k game played using Dark Heresy 2nd edition rules that I am running as the GM. And uh, we find the rogue trader crew of the His Enduring Light have been ambushed by Dark Eldar while answering the distress call of an Imperial Navy frigate. And uh, and you guys got beat pretty soundly, so what did you do, Ishan? Oh, we surrendered immediately. <laughs> at, at their request, of course. <laughs> I mean, I think we would have volunteered as soon as they uh, cut down our psyker and an armsman with one swipe. Yeah, yeah. So... You determined uh, from this that they were Dark Eldar. Mm-hmm. And so what do you know about Dark Eldar, Ishan? Why don't, uh, why don't well, you share a little bit of Dark Eldar lore with our listeners? Trank knows nothing about the Dark Eldar, but our heretic and our Voidmaster know way too much about them. Uh, but, you know, pretty soon we all learned that they are um, crazy BDSM freaks. Yeah, they're the drow they're the dark elves of the 40k setting yeah torture um misanthropy torture <laughs> yeah more torture i i mean the 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 background of the dark eldar is that they were so hedonistic that they birthed a chaos god from their indulgence Slanesh. it wasn't it all the eldar all the eldar together it was but the Dark Eldar really leaned into it. <laughs> yeah. And, this, and, and didn't learn from this. <laughs> yeah. Slanesh started like eating all of their souls. And now the only way that they can prevent themselves from being sucked right into Slanesh's gaping maw, body and soul, is by causing themselves and other people as much pain and torment as possible. Yeah. Um, they are a very, I mean, they're modeled after Renaissance Italy. Uh, I mean, their their home city in the webway is called Camorra, which should sound familiar. <laughs> like, if that doesn't sound like a mix of Gamora and, you know, any Italian name. So, yeah, and, and basically that's their lot in life now, right, is they must exact torture and pain on others in order to anchor their souls. And, you know, when you're forced to do something, sometimes it's just better to convince yourself you like it. So... What did they do to you guys? Torture. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and more torture. Yeah, Mostly. so they immediately set to torturing you guys, which we kind of just handled in a cutscene. Yeah. Of uh-huh. you wake up afterwards in a like a, a month like a month cell. later. Well, like a week later, yeah. <laughs> and you just have like vague recollections as you, you know, kind of came out of shock and then immediately went back into shock. Yeah. It was very much fade to black. Yeah. <laughs> uh but you all basically ended up uh, naked in a prison cell, uh, a makeshift prison cell near uh, one of the secondary bridges of the frigate, but you weren't alone. No. There was a, a whole crew of folk in this cell with you. Mm-hmm. An Imperial Navy lieutenant who seemed like she was very competent, but had also been tortured into submission just like us. And was also, you know, as naked as you were, so she didn't have like a whole lot of. Um, equipment at her disposal. Yeah. Uh, an orc boy who is insane, obviously, because he's insisting that he's actually a human prince uh, who's under the effect of some kind of drug he's calling polymorphine. Yeah, which is not a drug that you guys have necessarily heard of, but is a canonical drug that works basically like polyjuice potion. Right. Uh, there's a warrior woman from a nearby feudal planet. A, a Gretchen who loved to gamble. Those are basically like 40K's goblins. Uh, and his muscle-bound bodyguard, a giant orc freebuda. That's an orc pirate. Yeah, so 40K orcs are mostly mindless warlike barbarians um, who, you know, think Tolkien orcs twisted to 11. Uh, but freebooters are kind of separate from that. They uh, they have like more human type ambition, so they tend to become pirates. It's and because they have more human type hats. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the first time they captured an admiral's hat, they invested in the wog uh, the idea that they would become pirates, and so they did. 
If you give an orc a pirate hat. <laughs> There's also a Dark Eldar in here with us, uh, who apparently is some sort of station called an Incubus. Uh, he's been accused of murdering uh, another Dark Eldar. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that that was a problem. Uh, it is for the Dark Eldar, yeah, it turns out, <laughs> uh, based on how they're organized. Though he won't really talk to you. Uh, he's kind of just sullen and downtrodden. Um, there's a priest in there who kind of explains what's going on. Yeah, uh, a human priest. A human priest, yeah, like a, like a very old priest who um, hails from the same feudal planet as most of the humans in here. There are also two twins from that same feudal world. Uh, they feel very out of place. They're not adjusting to being in space. Now, of course, we know, ah, twins, this must be a sign. <laughs> One of them must be magical or the key to escaping or a princess of, of some kind. That must be, because why else would twins show up in a story? And were they? I guess we'll see. Well, the answer is no. <laughs> not until and, much later. Uh, uh, I am not entirely convinced. <laughs> Look, at least one of them kind of became a princess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then the last item, really, in this room is a cylindrical kind of carbon fiber colored patterned looking stool upon which rests the free Buddha. Uh, you mean like a short thing on which to sit? Yes. Okay. Literally a, a small obsidian cylinder. Mm -hmm. Like a tree stump. Basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, which the orc is uh, happily sitting on, kind of like it's his throne. And so we decide we must have it. Yeah. <laughs> when in prison. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Flair's strategy here was like, you know, your first day in prison, just like punch somebody in the mouth so they know not to worry, <laughs> not to mess with you. Or if his strategy here was literally like, Oh, there's no chance I'm sitting on the ground. <laughs> right, because he didn't have his attendants. So anyway, he uh, attempts to bamboozle Ront, the uh, the orc free Buddha, into, like, trick him into conceding his chair. And it seems like it's definitely going to work. It does, right up to the point where Ront plants his boot in Flair's chest mm -hmm. <laughs> and sends him skittering across the floor. Oh, the ignominy. But things would soon improve for the party. Really? Well, <laughs> things will eventually improve for the party. Okay. We'll find out how quickly next week. All right, this week we are continuing our series on player personality types with the storyteller. Uh, Shane, what's a storyteller? Can you go to the source? As always, we look at Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering by Robin D. Laws, and... He describes the storyteller as, uh, like the method actor, inclined towards the role-playing side and less interested in numbers and experience points. But unlike the method actor, he's more interested in the overall story of uh, the, the overall narrative that's being formed by the group rather than the specific interests of a single character. I think we have quite a few storytellers in our group. I don't think we have actually that many method actors because I've noticed when I was running Morning Glory and maybe you've noticed with like running Rogue Trader, um, I actually have people or would have people very consciously making in-character decisions that were obviously to further the narrative or the, the story as a whole to sort of make the story more epic even if that didn't necessarily result in like their character immediately becoming the focus of something. Yeah, that's that's our group, storytellers and munchkins. Yeah. <laughs> Not mutually exclusive. <laughs> what if we are all amazingly epic? Yeah, and like we kill gods and dragons in the Trask. Yeah? Yeah. You know, we play obviously a lot with storytellers. A lot of times our home game feels I, I think I've described it in the past as being in the writer's room of like a TV serial rather than necessarily being on set. Mm. But so what are some of the benefits of storytellers? Well, they help keep an eye on the overall narrative and the pacing of the story. You know, if things are getting sort of bogged down, too much planning or like too, too much focus on the mechanics, the storytellers will sort of prod everybody along be like okay but remember we've got a mission to accomplish 
Yeah, it, it it helps keep people focused and on track, which I think is a little bit different from like the power gamer, the butt kicker who might you know similarly struggle with pacing problems, but rather than try and get the story moving, would just kind of default into combat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think storytellers also encourage role playing and character development outside of just their own character. I think storytellers enjoy seeing character arcs from kind of a, a, a larger perspective. Right. Even if a storyteller is not focused consciously on like a three X structure or like the hero's journey, those are the kinds of things that like they're used to seeing and that they tend to want to see in game. So they gravitate toward that. And then they also help build consensus. Robin Laws notes that, uh, they're quick to compromise to keep things moving forward. So, I, and I, I think what that's going to do for your group is it's it's going to modulate the sort of the the hard lines. You know, when we must fight them or we must run away, it's going to be like, okay, we must do one or the other, <laughs> right? So let's pick one and do it. You know. Yeah, and fortunately for GMs, they will seek out the meta plot, and if they need to, they'll create their own narratives, uh, even if you're playing a game that isn't normally story focused like you know a straight up dungeon crawl they'll be like what is the reason that we're in this crazy tomb of horror yeah like, so, <laughs> like they're wondering how this place came to be and it's it's not just you know like because you and i wonder that but that's because we're snarky like it's more of a like figuring out the history of a place through what we see today that uh, that kind of background that kind of story i need to know how evil the lich is so i know how awesome it will be when we beat him right (laughs) they're gonna find those plot threads when you put them out there or even in places you didn't necessarily plan a thread to be you know they'll they'll create their own plot threads if they can't find them Mm -hmm. but it's not all fun and games sometimes storytellers can cause problems yeah i mean storytellers need advancement right they need the plot and the narrative to move forward a stale plot is going to be boring to them yeah but sometimes the game requires a long planning session or you need to sit down and work out the mechanics or like if you're yeah if you're going to storm the castle well it's not epic if everybody dies because nobody planned for like the boiling oil right and and it's also in some ways like less rewarding to storm the castle but only have one fight you know like there's a there's an element of of like you need a certain amount of mechanical involvement um in order to make combat feel risky and an epic the way that it would feel on screen yeah like so that it doesn't feel like a foregone conclusion that like of course we're going to successfully defend helms deep right the problem with that being that you know, combat heavy or or particularly long and very tactical combats, you might have a storyteller kind of checking out because in a lot of ways, the plot gets lost when it comes down to just fight or die. Right. In their head, they're reading a novel, right? So oftentimes a book will sum up the results of a, a big battle and maybe even a page. Yeah. You know, it might even happen off screen, but they're stuck here for like three or four hours slowly working through it roll by roll. Yeah, and you know, that 3 or 4 hours could encompass 5 minutes, right, or less. And then I think opposite munchkins and method actors who can sometimes let their individual characters sort of outshine the rest of the group, they could let the overall story kind of overshadow the individual character choices. And while that's a problem, if they're facilitating a story that kind of ignores some of the motivations of other players, even if they're not doing that, sometimes it is harder for them to focus on the motivations or the arc of their own particular character because they have subsumed that into the overall or overarching narrative. Like sometimes they forget like, oh, right, like I was supposed to have that transition from farm boy to hero, but I haven't really acted that out at all. Right, right. I know one of my pitfalls is that sometimes I'll forget that my character's own motivations would run counter. Like, like sometimes I personally get so wrapped up into pursuing the mystery or following this, you know, tugging at this plot thread that I forget like, oh, but my character's motivation is actually to go do X, Y, and Z. Like I, I should be focused on that, not this little subplot that's captured my imagination as a player and as a storyteller. Right. Oh, I'm drifting closer toward NPC. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so as a GM, what do you do if you have a storyteller in your party? Besides rejoice, obviously. <laughs> so Robin D. Law's suggestion is introduce plenty of plot threads and uh, keep an eye on pacing, which I think is a good starting place for sure. And, and I think you know looking to other media is the easiest way for most people to to handle this. And I I love looking at TV series rather than movies or novels. Yeah, because the way that those play out is much more akin to a weekly RPG game session. Yeah, especially if they're like an ensemble, and which is basically the only type of TV we have now, <laughs> but, um, but but wasn't always, right? Um, but if you have that kind of ensemble cast, and, and Lost is a great example of this, where they had broad story episodes, and then they also had very drilled down character episodes. Mm. And even though you know you might have a Kate episode, which is always terrible, or you might have a Jack episode, which is the worst. Like you'll also get those amazing Locke or the amazing Sawyer episodes that that really move the plot, but also really flesh out those characters and make them more compelling. I right? think we just learned a lot about you, Shane. I mean, I am sticking with Jack are the worst episodes. <laughs> like <laughs> me and all of Entertainment Weekly readers agree. I okay. I now I know too much about you. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I read Entertainment Weekly in the Lost Days because we didn't have DVR. So if you missed an episode, you were stuck. Uh, look, I was watching the first two seasons and I was still lost. Yeah, I, I mean, there you go. Going on. We, also, we, like, we didn't have Reddit to overanalyze every frame. Oh, uh, right. You know? uh, well, that was an interesting episode. Let's see what I think about it. Yeah, wasn't there a polar bear like <laughs> nine years ago? What, did that ever get explained? It's an angel, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Those ensemble TV series uh, also are really good at, at the beginning of or during an episode, reintroducing or reminding you about the plot threads that are going to be relevant this episode. So this quote unquote session, which I think is a technique that's really useful when you are running something episodic, right? Okay, maybe you've got a wiki, maybe you've been passing out information, but like your players just showed up from somewhere else, they get in the mindset. And yes, there's a large overarching plot, but you don't need all of that in your head for what we're doing here today. Right. So the storyteller is probably going to remember that, but you know, you cannot bring them along and they can help coax that out of other people. And I mean, even as a GM, just when you start your session, right, kind of give a little bit of a recap of where the players are uh, so that they can get back into the story themselves, but tailor that recap for what's relevant for that session. It's something that we do in the Morning Glory recap and now in the Dynasty Unwarranted recap. We never just pick up immediately where we left off, right? We always kind of summarize the past few installments of the story before advancing the plot a little bit further. Previously on Murder Hobos. Exactly that. <laughs> and now I write my, my weekly recaps for the group in that voice. Yeah. <laughs> Maximum alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now... You can also handle a lot of the uh, mechanical upkeep of the game uh, away from the table. So, you know, don't level up during session. Don't buy things in session. I mean, okay, fine. Maybe you're a group that, like, really loves RPing the shopping trip. Oh, I mean, yeah, but that's a group of character actors, right? Like, right. Not necessarily a group of uh, butt kickers or tacticians or storytellers. I hate RPing the shopping trip personally <laughs> i don't i find it endearing because <laughs> you love to haggle <laughs> it's not that at all i just love i love small characters <laughs> <laughs> that i now need to make up on the fly oh, right. gonna shop. What, what do you mean you're you're gonna shop around yeah. I, uh. <laughs> I don't know man i feel like i can get a better deal down the street <laughs> from it's his brother <laughs> with a name that rhymes right. like all fantasy parents that's right nope we have the same things for the same prices grog and mog <laughs> goblin tinkerers uh, yeah so you can handle that stuff away from the table um i also think from a pacing perspective it's it's important to pick the right mechanics for your game so i think games that give storytelling elements into even like combat mechanics can be very good. So uh, I'm thinking specifically of FFG Star Wars, but I think what's the fantasy age? Is that the green Ronin? 
um, that's got like a stunt system. Yes. Yeah, I, I think things that give you more leeway in how you narrate a combat um, will encourage storytellers to be a little more involved than things that are like picking a power off of a list like 4th edition. Yeah, I always liked the mechanic of Star Wars Saga Edition where a character had force points which you could use to like give yourself small bonuses and and you could use those relatively often but you had these things called destiny points so you'd pick a destiny for your character and then you would have one point per level that you could use to sort of like really influence what was happening and you can do amazing things by spending a destiny point but you know you could only do that once uh and and that sort of it would could, could like pull you out of like a, a death-defying situation. It could make it so that you could you know do an, an impossible task. It really helped it feel much more like uh, this kind of media where like the heroes succeed against all odds, even mm-hmm. when they really shouldn't. And you could pick when that happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not for nothing in the the Fantasy Flight 40k RPGs. I also like the idea of burning fate points mm-hmm. um, that you permanently reduce your fate points available to you to avoid death yeah you must like that because you keep doing it well i mean that is sort of the fun (laughs) of being a gm in 40k but because the scars begin to mount over time you know like what how many of you now have augmentic limbs or eyes or some replacement organs because of damage that you took in combat Uh, you know there are no scars on my prosthetic eyeballs okay (laughs) like they're perfectly fine actually right now uh brian's character doesn't have any eyes at all. Oh, you missed it. He actually regained a fate point. Really? Yeah, I gave him one. Oh, that's awesome. I hate business trips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. He, I'll explain it to you. Sweet. But he still I'll doesn't... explain it to you in about 30 episodes oh, when we get there. <laughs> perfect. He still doesn't have any eyeballs, though, does he? Uh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> he's, he's still eyeball free. They exploded. They melted. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's not us being creepy. That's in the game. It's in the table. Yeah. You can also give those storyteller players all of that juicy lore that you really want to share with everybody because you've been either writing it or, like, immersing yourself in it. Uh, They're the ones who are going to want to hear about it. I remember when I would come up with info for Morning Glory that I needed the party to have so they could figure things out, like, you know, um, crack a prophecy or something like that. I would, like, you know, make a scroll of it uh, and then, like, you know, tie it up. And I wouldn't give it to any particular player i would just kind of like toss it in the middle of the group like on the table like the angel gives you this information and it was always the same two or three players who would like snatch it up and unroll it and start reading it and then like two or three others who'd be like uh yeah just tell us what it says yeah give me like, the cliffs notes. what do we need to do right <laughs> and then someone would be like i'm taking this home and i'm gonna decipher this thing <laughs> Those are your storytellers. So in our Dark Sun game, that was definitely us because Angela gave us a riddle. And it was you and I sitting there going, wait, it has to be this, it has to be that. All right, we got some more information. Like We got it down to 50-50. Yeah, exactly. Right? And the camera was like, uh, just tell me like which statue to touch. Yeah, what goes next? <laughs> it's 50-50. That's, that's fine. Just one or the other. And then he's like, wait a minute. This is where we're not sure. Okay, give me protection spells. <laughs> give me mechanical benefits. I don't want to get zapped. <laughs> Spoiler, he got zapped. Yeah. <laughs> and then also remember, one of our kind of tenets of Total Party Thrill, right, is that exposition is always better received when it comes from the voice of a player than from the GM. Because the GM has gobs of exposition to offer, but when a player does it, people listen a little closer. Yeah, it's that great moment when someone makes a suggestion and another player goes, actually, if you remember, here's the lore about this particular deity. Yeah, and and as a GM, that can often just mean prompting the player, right? Mm-hmm. A question gets asked and you go, actually, remember, Ishin, your character knows that. It's the thing with, in, with the guy in the place? Oh, right. Right, as a storyteller, player, I do remember that. And, of course, another tenet of Total Party Thrill... Make sure there are alternative combat objectives. Combats, which can sometimes be boring for the storyteller, need to have uh, both context for why they're occurring and a purpose inside the story and the narrative of the game. Which is why they usually get bored by random encounters. Yeah, but if you're having to fight through wave after wave of the Kingsguard, right, it's, it's 
serving to ramp up the importance of the king, right? The, the, his guards are willing to die. They're fighting to the death. They're clawing tooth and nail to protect him, right? Like that, that builds the king um, that, of course, you're trying to assassinate. Uh, it builds up his legacy in the storyteller's mind, right? It, it shows them the importance. They didn't want any of this, man. They're just conscripts. <laughs> it's tragic. Um, and that is uh, episode five. We did alternative oh, combat objectives. That was, well, we you know we handled all the important stuff early, right? <laughs> okay, so what if you're the storyteller? You're awesome. Okay, yeah. Oh, I think we've said that for every single <laughs> profile, right? Oh yeah. Don't feel bad about yourself, man. But what what are some tips for storyteller players? Well, I mean, this applies to every player, but. Make sure that you're finding the right group so that you can tell a really cool story or at least be a part of a group telling a cool story because not every group places a priority on the story. Yeah, I think this is probably more of a one-way street for the storyteller than some of the other profiles though because you know, like even a very story-focused group will likely have combat, mm-hmm. right? That will appease a, a more combat-focused player, but it might not be true in the opposite. You know, you might just be dungeon crawling and dungeon crawling and dungeon crawling, and I feel like as a storyteller, that's probably going to wear thin pretty quickly. Yeah, also, people often, like, are very positive about sandbox-type games where, you know, there's the world, and you're in it, and you can go and do whatever you want to do. And those, those can be a lot of fun, but sometimes storytellers can feel like we're just wandering around and not doing anything. Right. You know, where are we supposed to go? What's the quest? Where's the story here? Right. Like point me towards it so I can explore it. No, like this is, this is you and you can decide, like you live in this world that will react to you. Like go out there and find stuff. Sometimes that just feels like, you know, searching for buried treasure to a storyteller. Yeah. Also, I don't know, maybe try talking above the table. Talking to the other players in the GM. It probably won't work, actually. No, talking is terrible. It's Never an awful talk. Idea. Uh, communication is highly overrated. Ugh. Um, yeah, I mean, especially if you're a storyteller, because you can actually help your GM quite a bit. A lot of times, because storytellers are very interested in lore and world building, they can help do some of that heavy lifting, at least with the stuff that's important to their character. Mm hmm. If you are a GM who sort of struggles with those things, you can talk to the storyteller behind the scenes and be like, what do you think of this? Or, you know, if you're playing in an established setting, what do you know about this? You know, and help me write into this. Or how might this particular thing work out? Or even in-game, at the table, in maybe a a looser uh, kind of game, you can just point to the storyteller and be like, tell me what you know about this. And it may be that there is nothing canon. Like, the storyteller's job is now to just make that up. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, actually tell you a bit of lore about this established campaign setting that you're actually playing in that nobody else knows about. But hey, storyteller, go for it, because you know it. Yep. The other thing as a GM that that you quickly learn is that you always have more information prepared than you ever get to use. Mm -hmm. It's great if you have a, a, a player who's interested to share that with that player. Or a podcast. Or a podcast. <laughs> as a as a player, right? Offer to read up on that stuff from the GM, right? Hey, do you have any more information about your world? I'd love to read it. Mm-hmm. This is how I know that I, uh, I'm a Venn diagram of Storyteller and Munchkin. Because I'm also thinking, and they might let some stuff slip that you can use <laughs> to your advantage. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> And it's a, it's, but it's a two-way street, right? I think it's also important to share your ideas for character arcs and your ideas of the direction of the story. And, and even, um, this is probably better for the storyteller side of you and not the munchkin side, but even your thoughts on the direction of the plot or maybe what the answer to the riddle or mystery is, mm-hmm. you know? Because um, it, it helps give the GM some guidance as to what's landing with the players, how are they feeling about things that I'm doing, Uh, What direction do they want to go in? How can I help tailor the campaign that way? Yeah, sometimes we give you feedback. Like uh, when we got totally smashed by the Dark Eldar, we said, fuck you, Shane. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's how I knew you weren't really storytellers. (laughs) But yeah, you can throw out options. Obviously, it's up to the GM if they want to take this. And it's kind of up to the dice to see if it actually happens. 
but you can definitely suggest something like it'd be awesome if we started as like smugglers uh but then it turns out that we end up as really important spies for the alliance or members of the alliance spying for the imperials <laughs> look i just want my million space bucks okay yeah. i got you your jewish princess i want to get out of here yeah but i think uh you know, as a, as a GM, it's one of the most nerve-wracking parts of running a campaign, right? Is you never know for sure how much your players are enjoying it. They keep coming back, mm-hmm. so they're enjoying it some, but you never quite know what you could do to take it from, like, an 8 to a 9 or a 9 to a 10. Yeah, and if you get feedback on combat or people aren't enjoying combat, that's a very temporary thing because, you know, the next combat can be completely different mm-hmm. depending on how you run it or how the dice go or whatever. But if you are building a story that, you know, is going to last years and these people are trying to get invested in it, it really helps to know if, like, it's garbage right now. Yeah. And you should be tweaking it because no one wants to get to the end of, like, a four-year campaign and be like, oh, that was lackluster. Yeah. And then the the last thing for storyteller players, and I think something that we try to do when we aren't super bogged down in our own character sheets, is look at the the table from that higher point of view and be an ally to the gm in terms of managing the story right use your character to keep the group moving forward and kind of throw the gm a bone you know like mm-hmm. um you know if you need to accept some light railroading to move on to the next scene like be the one who jumps on the railroad first and says hey guys all aboard yeah and that might mean that when you're creating a character shy away from the personality that says oh, I'm always going to go my own way and I don't listen to nobody <laughs> Yeah, because like that's not the kind of player you are you're, you're probably more of a Luke less of a Han <laughs> right? <laughs> in Firefly terms you want to be more of a Zoe less of a Jane yeah right yeah let the butt kicker be the Jane right yeah butt kickers just do what Zoe tells you yeah <laughs> And then as always, remember that your fun is important and you have a place at the table as well. So have fun. And remember that everyone else's fun is important too. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Um, that uh, I was aiming for his head. All right. Well, you missed. So it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are uh, continuing our Gonzo build trend with the Bardic College. Yeah, this one breaks the game. This one shouldn't really see the table, but it's fun. It's a thought exercise. Although we're going to give you an option that doesn't break the game. Sure. (laughs) Uh, All right, so what is the Bardic College, Shane, and why is it called that? So the Bardic College is a collection of bards, mm-hmm. uh, and and of course, you know, according to fifth edition lore, the subclass of a bard is called his college. So the Bardic College is a collection of bards of the same college. Um, so is this a party build? It's a university in character form. What's the build? Lore bard seventeen, knowledge cleric three. So the basic gist here, you're going to use the Simulacrum spell, which is a level 7 spell that allows you to make copies of a creature, which will, of course, be yourself. Uh, And then you will form a literal college of bards. But Shane, you can only cast the Simulacrum spell one time. If you cast it again, the old Simulacrum disappears. So that's true. Uh, there's some other limits in Simulacrum as well. Uh, the Simulacrum has your statistics, but it only has half your hit points. It can't regain hit points. It can't regain spell slots or advance or gain XP. And it costs like 1,500 gold pieces worth of ground rubies. Yeah, not just gold. Yeah. Ground ruby. And you're right. You can only cast it once. If you cast it again, your previous Simulacrum disappears. 
and you don't even get those spell slots back. Or at least it doesn't. Right. What could we do? You could have your simulacrum cast simulacrum. <laughs> what? Yeah, so we're basically going to be daisy-chaining simulacrum in the lamest way possible in order to get lots and lots of copies of ourselves in order to form a literal college. Um, and I'll also note that you know, we've built this with Knowledge Cleric 3, but the way Simulacrum as a spell is written, you can't regain spell slots, but you can regain other abilities. So mm-hmm. you can regain your Bardic Inspiration, Superiority Dice, Channel Divinity, Wild Shape, Key Points, or Sorcery Points. Yeah, so there are a lot of ways that you could go with this if you want. Like, Sorcery Points, you can turn into Spell Slots, mm-hmm. for example. Well, I mean, up to level 2. <laughs> hey! <laughs> um but let's let's look at this from an on theme perspective. So, what do you need to make a college? Um, high fees. Oh, we got that fifteen hundred dollars a student. Done. All right, uh, students. I guess. Well, you'll cast simulacrum on yourself. How many times? Once. That's okay. how you get your first student. How do you get your second student? So at level fifteen, you'll get underclassmen, which is now that you have level eight spells. When, once you cast Simulacrum, you'll have an extra spell slot left that your Simulacrum can use to cast on you. Ah, not on itself. No, you always cast. You always create Simulacrum of you, not of your Simulacrum. And this prevents the diminishing returns of continually having a new creature with half the HP of the previous one. Correct. But where are you going to get all this money to keep casting Simulacrum? Yeah. Are you get, are they get miners? They're going to be miners. Right? You're going to need fundraisers. Okay. You're going to need a development department. <laughs> so when you get to level 17, you get ninth level spells. And of course, you get Wish. And Wish you can use to create a ruby worth 25,000 GP. Then all you got to do is grind it up into dust, and you've got components for 16 more Simulacrum castings. Per day. Per Wish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but don't you also need teachers? You do, and you're going to organize them into departments, um, and that's why we have a level of knowledge cleric, a first level of knowledge cleric. That gives you expertise in two of the knowledge skills, so arcana, history, nature, or religion. And, of course, you're a bard, so you'll get expertises in four other skills. Along the way, yeah, so mm-hmm. you can easily round out your profile. But, Shane, we don't have all the skills i'm assuming this is a liberal arts college we should be able to do everything yeah well you're gonna get some graduate assistance ah uh knowledge cleric 2 gets you the channel divinity which allows you to gain proficiency in any skill or tool for 10 minutes once per day and as we mentioned earlier that refreshes when on a rest even for the simulacra so once per day you're gonna have lots of proficiency okay so shane this enables you to make Infinite simulacra, yes? Yeah, technically. Mm-hmm. Because each new simulacra is a copy of you, and it uses a spell slot to make another copy of you. So yeah. that one still has the spell slots. Yeah, so basically, like, once you get to ninth level spells, right, you use a seventh level slot to cast simulacrum on yourself, and then your copy has an eighth and ninth level spell. And then they use that eighth or ninth level slot to make a copy of you. Which still has an 8th and 9th level, level spell. slot. So they always just keep making it, and they always keep one high-level spell slot. Probably that ninth. Okay, but what if you actually want to play this at a table? I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's some limitations here. And, I mean, we are getting deep into the theory craft of this. But uh, technically the way that simulacrum is worded, you, you control your own simulacrum, uh, which means that any command that you issue has to be passed along the chain. Like telephone. Yeah, exactly. If I were a GM, I would definitely make it like telephone. Oh, it would definitely fall apart after like the third or fourth <laughs> order, yeah. And also, if you lost anyone in between, of course, you would sever <laughs> the, yeah. the control, like that, that kind of stuff. So it doesn't work perfectly. This is more of like your stay-at-home research department. I mean, like, I, I like the idea that thousands of years ago that Link was severed because one simulacrum was killed, and then slowly like they've reinterpreted the last given direction yeah to mean something completely opposite to like the original branch and now they're at war (laughs) (laughs) and they just keep making more and more i mean i like the idea that you have a very overqualified house staff for your uh for your team headquarters (laughs) 
Yes, we can cast Swish, but we're pleased to just be mopping the floors. (laughs) I'm very good at it for 10 minutes per day. (laughs) All right, so Shane, tell me about your barter college. Well, obviously, as as an aspiring academic, uh, took to adventuring... To, uh, to gain knowledge, to gain understanding, to uh, learn the stories of the world around him, and, and so on and so forth. But unlike most academics, only child, and grew up lonely, and always thought that if he could create a little brother for himself, he would. Did you say unlike most academics? <laughs> uh, well, unlike most adventurers, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why he just keeps creating friends for himself you know when you're when you're a kid who grows up isolated and alone maybe maybe grew up in a wizard's tower with a single wizard um single wizard parent yeah yeah Yeah, but didn't quite have the gift you know wow last week the one-man band this week the lonely collegian hey they're bards so technically they could form a band (laughs) that's true for 10 minutes a day (laughs) Which is all you ever really want to practice anyway. <laughs> I suggest you just take performance yourself, and then they will all be good at it. Yeah, but you want that tool proficiency. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Maybe it's a music college. Could be a music college. How about you, Ishan? I am dubbing mine the Seven Sisters, each of which, of course, went to a different college, but then all came together to form their own. Okay. And I think you can sort of get around the game-breakingness of this if you just kind of limit yourself a bit. You're still going to have a very good build. I mean, Bard 17 is great for anything. Um, But yeah, just cast Simulacrum once and then have that one use its available slots to cast Simulacrum and just keep going down on the line until they're out of slots and you end up with six Simulacra. Plus you, well, seven. So the seven sisters travel around adventuring together uh, but then also you know teaching teaching anyone who will come to them actually I guess more appropriately it would be any woman who comes to them yeah I think that's more accurate <laughs> because it makes a better learning environment let's be honest <laughs> alright if you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a 5 star review on iTunes if you're willing to help us out we'll read your 5 star review on the air and you can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And Ishan, I believe it is your turn to read the five-star review today. That's right. This is Great Podcast, five stars by Dr. Cheese and Crackers. Wonderful audio quality, banter, and great information and ideas for any RPG that you are a part of. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, I believe that's uh, an, an official recommendation from... I'm just going to go with a PhD slash MD. That, I think that means one out of one doctors approve. That's a large percentage. A better percentage than Crest. <laughs> Who brushes their teeth anyway? It's a scam. <laughs> All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about removing players from your gaming group. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Grey Guard. Well, that's it for episode 89 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 